Well, this morning we're returning to the life of Jacob in Genesis chapter 30. And I'm just wondering, question, how do you like Jacob so far? Somebody you want to be your friend? Someone whose character so far you'd like to emulate? Does he seem like a patriarch? You know, watching Jacob be born and grow up and behave badly and get married and get married again and sell himself into servitude, it's just been painful to watch. We're bewildered at why God would choose to continue his covenant of salvation through this man. How could God choose this man to carry on the line of promise? Jacob is a self-serving, deceiving, lying, cheating sinner. It's, It's almost as if he's one of us. For all his scheming, he's not very wise. For all his love, he doesn't seem to be a very good husband. For all his hard work, he's patently unsuccessful. I mean, he's just discouraging to watch. But God has made promises to this sinner, Jacob. Sometimes we live sinful lives that are discouraging to watch. Our sin, our repeated sin, becomes discouraging to us. But God has made promises to us. We need to remember that. The problem with Jacob is that he seems to have forgotten the promises that God made to him and as, almost as soon as they were made, back in chapter 28. He lost consciousness of God. But God never lost consciousness of Jacob. To borrow the words of the prophet Jeremiah, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now God spoke those words to Israel, Jacob's descendants, when they were in captivity in Babylon, that he would bring them out of Babylon and return them to the land of promise, their home and their country. Jacob is discouraging But God is gracious to sinners, and that's very encouraging. God will prosper Jacob and bring Jacob out of his captivity in Haran. And Jacob will remember God. For the first time in our passage this morning, we begin to see Jacob in a positive light. Not a perfect light. It's a little dim, but it's light. Because we see Jacob becoming conscious of God's grace. We see glimmers of God's grace popping out in these chapters that we're going to read this morning. Like Jacob, we all want to be encouraged to know that we have chosen the right God to follow. Like Jacob, God shows us that the right God has chosen us. He has called us out of darkness of our sin and is prospering us in the light of Christ's righteousness and protecting us by the blood of Christ's sacrifice on the cross all by his grace, none by our doing. And that's going to encourage us this morning. If you would follow along, take your sermon outline, have it handy. And I'm going to begin reading our passage this morning. I'll read the the last half of chapter 30 to begin with. We're in chapter 30, verse 25. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. 
Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages, and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when I shall provide for my household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and the spotted and the speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good! Let it be as you've said. But that day, Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger, Jacob's. Thus, the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. God has already been keeping his promises made to Jacob back in chapter 28. He has given Jacob seed, that is, children. He said in chapter 28, verse 14, Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And while we zoom in on Jacob yet again, don't forget that God is keeping his promises and bringing about his purposes, even if it seems to us in the background. So as soon as Rachel gives birth to Joseph, Jacob wants to return to his home in the land of Canaan. That is our first little glimmer of God's evidence of breaking through in Jacob's world. It's subtle, I know, but listen, that I may go to my own home and country. How long has it been since Jacob considered Canaan his home? And who authorized Jacob to refer to Canaan as his country? God did. God did in chapter 28, while Jacob saw the angels ascending and descending on the stairway to heaven and was in fear and awe that God was in this place, God gave Jacob the land and promised to fill it with Jacob's offspring. It's subtle, but for the first time, 
Jacob is talking like a Godward thinking man rather than a worldly thinking man. The author of Hebrews tells us that Jacob was seeking a homeland, a better country, one given by God. So he asks Laban to let him go, to release him. Jacob is a servant of Laban's. He's part of Laban's household. Now he's also Laban's son-in-law, which makes him a special servant, but he's still a servant. So he asks because he desires to take his four wives and 12 children, all under the age of seven, to Canaan, to his father's house, Isaac's house. See, but Laban wants to keep Jacob around indefinitely. Not because he likes him. These two men can't stand each other. You need to pick that up by now. Laban has learned by divination some type of spiritual inquiry with the spirit world, perhaps using his false gods, his idols, that the blessing, the increased wealth of his flock that he thought was coming from Jacob was actually coming from Jacob's God. Yahweh, the Lord. Now, divination's bad. It will be specifically forbidden in Israel's laws. And we're clear now that Laban is a pagan worshiper. That, uh, that, that was just a little bit vague to us. It wasn't exactly clear until now. But it's clear now. There's a clear distinction between Laban and Jacob. So Laban asks his old question. It's worked in the past. Jacob, name your wages. I'll give them to you. I mean, he's motivated now to really give Jacob whatever he asks for. Jacob is the golden goose for Laban. He's a lucky rabbit's foot. And he's motivated to give Jacob a better deal this time so that Jacob will stay with him. Jacob has some accusing words for Laban. That's right. The Lord has blessed you because of me. There's still a little boastful pride in Jacob there. But I have nothing. That's right. Jacob has nothing. Yes, I have two wives that I worked for, but no land, no sheep, no flocks, no goats, no herds, no property, nothing. And now you want to give me something? Jacob says, I will not take anything from you. And I want you to hear that in a certain light. Remember in Genesis chapter 14, when the king of Sodom offered all of the plunder to Abram after he'd rescued them? All of this. Take it, Abram. And Abram said, I would not take a thread or a sandal strap of anything that is yours, lest you should say, I've made Abram rich. I mean, that's what, that's what Jacob is saying to Laban. You shall not give me anything. See, Jacob wanted to go home so he could provide for his family there, but he enters into negotiations with Laban to provide for his family here. Jacob has another work proposal. Oh, Oh no, not another one of those. Jacob will take care of Laban's sheep and goats if he can have all of the ones that are miscolored, let's say, as his wage. I did a little, little, little commentary work here. You see sheep are, are 80 to 90% white. So Jacob will take the speckled and the spotted and the black sheep as his wage. Goats are, goats are always solid colored, you know, 80 to 90% solid colored. So Jacob would take the spotted and the speckled among the goats as his wage. When it comes time to account for Jacob's wage, the color of the sheep will attest to the wage. These are his, those are Laban's. Now, a regular wage for a shepherd would start at 20% and go up from there. So, so Laban realizes right off the bat, this is a very good deal for him. He thought he was going to have to pay out this time to keep the golden goose nearby, so to speak. 
And, and instead, Jacob makes this ridiculous lowball offer. Jacob could have asked for 20% or more and gotten it, but Jacob is willing to settle for 10%, maybe, maybe a little bit more. So greedy Laban says, good, good, let it be as you've said, done. I mean, Laban can't believe his luck, but he's also willing to make a little of his own luck. Before Jacob passes through Laban's flock that day to collect the miscolored animals that would be his, Laban passes through the flock that day and gives all the miscolored animals to his sons and sends them away. So Jacob begins with nothing. Laban's not just a liar, he's a thief. And that's not all. Laban has stacked the deck in his favor against Jacob, because there's still the sheep yet to be born and the goats yet to be born. Laban sent his sons and their miscolored sheep a distance of three days travel away so they they can't ever co-mingle again. They can't mate with his white sheep and solid-colored goats. So there's a greater chance of his flock growing and Jacob's flock never appearing. Now, I don't think Laban was (laughs) much of a blessing to Jacob before. Nonetheless... We're told that God blessed Laban because of Jacob. Now, Laban is clearly against Jacob. He has clearly set himself against Jacob. And we need to remember God's covenant promise to those who bless you, I will bless, and to those who curse you, I will curse. He didn't say that out loud in verse 28, but it's central to the covenant that God passed on to Jacob. Jacob just has to be discouraged, doesn't he? When he comes up with this deal, And there are these pre-existing miscolored sheep and goats that should be his. I mean, he's just got to be disheartened here. Laban has gotten away with stealing the miscolored sheep he was going to grow his flock from. Now he needs another plan. Now he needs another plan. What should Jacob do? I mean, honestly, if you were just going to, if Jacob related this to you, what advice might you give him? Jacob, why don't you pray? Why don't you say a prayer? Why don't you ask God for help? God, do you see what Laban's done to me? Are you going to let him get away with that? What about your promises back at Bethel? Help me understand what you're doing. Just give me a clue here. You know, when we look at Jacob, the one thing we can commend him for is his hard work and faithful service to Laban. He's been a hard worker. And even that hasn't worked out for him. But instead of trusting God when he's desperate and needs God most, Jacob leans back into his own self-sufficiency. I'll figure something out. Jacob is so desperate that he gathers up some sticks. So apparently, there's an old wives' tale, an old folk remedy, an old shepherd's superstition, that an animal's visual impression while mating can make a physical impression on the baby lammer goat. It's total junk science. It's not true. Doesn't work. But Jacob tries it. He, he, he misplaces his trust in this superstition. And before you jump on Jacob, of course, we trust God in everything, right? So he whittles some white streaks and some sticks and places them in front of the animals where they mate by the watering places, and it works! Well, it seems to work. Laban's white sheep 
And solid colored goats produce striped, speckled, and spotted offering for Jacob's wage. So then Jacob separates his flock from Laban's. He's learned that trick so that his miscolored animals continue to produce more miscolored animals, adding to his flock, and he continues to use the sticks in Laban's flocks so that they produce miscolored animals. Jacob's not a total idiot. I mean, he, he knows a little bit about selective breeding. He goes a step further. When the mighty sheep and goats, that is the male, uh, the, the healthy, strong sheep in Laban's flock breed, he puts the sticks in front of them. But when Laban's feeble sheep mate, he does not. The result is that Jacob's flocks grow increasingly strong and healthy, while Laban's flocks become increasingly weak and feeble. So how long does this go on? How long does this take place? Well, how long does the breeding process last? Well, we, we'll learn in chapter 31, verse 41, that Jacob has been, saving, has been shepherding Laban's flock and growing his own flock for six years. So just like that, six years have passed, and everyone can see the results. The results that are strongly in favor of Jacob and disappointing for Laban. Listen again to verse 43. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks and female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. Jacob is increasing on all fronts by the grace of God. Laban no longer feels blessed <laughs> and he no longer feels favor towards Jacob. When you, think, when you see this word favor, it's the same word for grace. He has no favor towards him. That's when the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and your kindred, and I will be with you, which is a command and a promise. Go back, I'll be with you. Uh, chapter 31, I'm going to read chapter 31 in three chunks. Uh, the first one through verse 21. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion of our inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. 
So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock and his possession that he had acquired in Pedan Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he was intending to flee. He fled with all that he had and rose and crossed the Euphrates, and he set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. Now, Laban is angry with Jacob, and the sons of Laban are calling Jacob a thief. That's when God tells Jacob to return to the land under his protection. Three things happen here very quickly. God reveals to Jacob that it is God who has been with him and who has prospered him all these years. Jacob's wives agree to leave their father Laban and go with Jacob to Canaan. And Jacob obeys God's command. He heeds God's call. Now Jacob tells Rachel and Leah that their father has done nothing but try to cheat him all these years, which they all well know. Ten times, apparently, Jacob or Laban changed Jacob's wages. Laban would say, you can only have the spotted animals now. But when he did, his flocks produced only spotted animals. So he would change his wages again and say, you can only have the striped animals now. But when he did, the flocks produced only striped animals. I mean, is that frustrating or what to Laban? The truth is that God is cursing Laban for dishonoring Jacob, according to his covenant promise. Jacob tells his wives, it is God who has taken away the livestock of your father and given it to me. It's God's doing. Do you hear Jacob becoming more conscious of God? At the end of the breeding season, now, that's a time marker. We're not to read that and go, oh, way back at the beginning. That's, no, it's a time marker in contrast with the beginning of the shearing season in verse 19 where, where Laban has gone off to begin shearing the sheep. But at the, at the end of the breeding season, the angel of God told Jacob in a dream that while silly Jacob was playing with sticks, God was the one increasing his flock of striped, speckled, and mottled sheep and goats because God had seen how Laban was dishonoring Jacob. You know, Jacob might have known this much earlier, mightn't he? If he would have prayed, if he would have gone to God, if he would have trusted God, if he would have surrendered his self-sufficiency to God who had made these very promises to him. It is God who gave the under-faithful and deceived Jacob a wife. It is God who gave the angry husband Jacob and his conniving wives offspring. It is God who blessed the superstitious and dishonored Jacob with property so that he might become a nation. After 20 years, God says to Jacob, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now, arise and go from this land and return to the land of your kindred. See, in chapter 28, Jacob made a vow to the Lord. He said, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I go and prosper me, so that I will come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Jacob made a vow. God's kept his part of that vow. God has been with Jacob all this time. It was painful to read Jacob's story, but there's God silently, providentially, graciously in the background. And now it's time for Jacob to follow this command of God and return to the land of promise under his protection because it's no longer safe for him to be with Laban. 
Another way to see this is in light of God's call to Abraham to leave her of the Chaldeans and go to Canaan. Now God is calling Jacob out of that same land to go to Canaan. And Jacob wants to know if Rachel and Leah want to come with him or stay with their father Laban. And their assessment of Laban is pretty clear. In asking these questions, they're actually making statements. They have no inheritance left in their father's house because he spent it all on himself. He sold them both off to Jacob for the price of 14 years' labor. A portion of that wealth generated by Jacob's labor was due them. That was their bride price, their dowry. But Laban has spent it all on himself. And he treats them as foreigners rather than family. Laban's own daughters don't want anything to do with Laban. And since God has taken Laban's wealth and given it to Jacob, their inheritance is now with God and Jacob. So, yeah, Jacob... Do what God tells you to do. I mean, it's, it's subtle, but, but even Leah and Rachel are becoming conscious of Jacob's God and his grace. So Jacob packs up the family on camels and drives his flock south towards Gilead, which is on the way to his father's house, Isaac's house in Canaan. But he doesn't tell Laban. Laban has gone off to shear his sheep, which gives David... Or excuse me, Jacob, an additional three-day head start. It also provides Rachel the opportunity to steal Laban's household gods. It's not a good thing. It's going to cause problems, problems of life and death. Let's pick up in verse 22. This is the chase scene, by the way. This is, this is pretty exciting stuff here. If you're not sure about what Old Testament excitement is, this is it. Okay, this is, this is the bullet car scene with Steve McQueen. Right here. When it was told to Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after them to the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban in the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched his tent in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done? That you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword. Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs with tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone your way, because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out, what I have taken that is yours, and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent, and into Leah's tent, and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out to Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. 
Laban felt about the tent, but he did not find them. And, he said to, and she said to her father, Let not the Lord be angry with me. I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was by day, the heat consumed me, and the night by the cold, and I, and I slept, or excuse me, my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I served you fourteen years for your two daughters, six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, Surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. So here's the chase scene. Laban is in hot pursuit of Jacob, and he catches up with him in the hill country of Gilead. Now Jacob is is slow-moving his entire household and his flocks. Laban covered almost 400 miles in seven days with his kinsmen. That means his army. His security force. No women or children, just men and their weapons. Laban's a dangerous man. He's not just some harmless trickster. He's a dangerous man capable of great violence. The night before he catches Jacob, God tells Laban in a dream, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Laban is angry at Jacob. He's hot for revenge. And having traveled almost 400 miles, that shows his passion to catch up with Jacob. He's determined to have it up with Jacob just when God warns him. Remember in verse 7 that Jacob told his wives, your father has cheated me, but God has not permitted him to harm me. Laban has harm on his mind. So God tells Laban not to say anything to Jacob. Whether good or bad, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob. God is intervening to protect his chosen seed, the line of promise which will pass through Jacob. In verse 25, we get a series of military battlefield terms. The language is colorful here. Laban overtakes Jacob. Jacob has pitched his tents. He's he's set up camp. And Laban has set up his camp. Within striking distance, the battlefield's been laid out. And the first thing Laban does is speak to Jacob. What have you done? Laban demands. More military language. You've driven my daughters from me. You're holding them captive as if by the sword. Don't you know it's in my power to do you harm? If Jacob were to say, you and whose army? He would say, me and my army. Be careful, Laban. 
Laban tells Jacob that his God warned him not to talk to Jacob, and Laban does it anyway. Laban has no respect for God. He's threatening Jacob. Just when we see aggressive Laban, we see passive Laban. It's passive-aggressive Laban day. Laban, the old manipulator. Jacob, why did you, why did you trick me? Run away. Oh, all I was going to do is give you a, a goodbye party with mirth and songs for everybody. You didn't even give me a chance to kiss my daughters and my grandchildren. Jacob, you're so selfish. You'd, you'd rather be in your father's house than stay with me. Poor Laban. Poor Laban. You even stole my household gods. Hmm. At this point, you have to wonder what it is that Laban wants back most, really. His daughters or his household gods? You also have to wonder why Rachel stole them in the first place. And maybe, maybe she thought they, they held some monetary value. You know, she held it against her father that her inheritance was gone. Or maybe she was superstitious and thought they might help her in some way. Maybe these teraphim, these little idols, maybe they're the means by which Laban divined that Jacob's God had blessed him back in chapter 30, verse 27. And it would be good for Laban not to have that weapon, so to speak. We don't know for sure. We don't know why Rachel took these. Jacob doesn't even know that Rachel has taken them. Jacob was very careful to take only what was his when he left so that his honesty would be a testimony to Laban. And this is a legal charge of theft. And now the, now the account, now the wording switches to courtroom language. So Jacob says, if there's anything here that is yours, take it, and anyone with whom you find your goods and your gods shall not live. Wouldn't you like to have seen Rachel's face at that moment? Because Jacob has just unwittingly signed her death warrant. Laban thinks it's Jacob. He goes into Jacob's tent first. <clears throat> then Leah's tent, then the servant's tent. Not even, not even Rachel's yet. And then he goes into Rachel's tent, and he still finds no household gods. Then Laban looks at Rachel sitting on, a, sitting on a camel saddle and Rachel has hidden the teraphim under her saddle and tells her father that she can't get up because the monthly wave of a woman's upon her. So don't bother me, Dad. And so Laban's search comes up empty. His claim that Jacob stole his gods is false. Well, mostly. Sort of. I mean, Rachel is clearly Laban's daughter, isn't she? And a pretty good match for old Jacob. That aside, Laban's gods are pathetic. What good is a god that can be stolen from you when you're not looking? What good is a god that needs you to protect it? And don't miss the symbolism here. Whether the monthly time of a woman is upon Rachel or not, whether she's lying or not, these gods are unclean, unholy, fake gods. They're useless pagan idols who cannot even defend themselves. And notice the irony here. 
Look at the big situation. Notice the irony here. Laban is failing to deliver his gods from Jacob. While Jacob is succeeding at delivering his people from Laban. By God's grace. Jacob doesn't just, well, he can't take any more from Laban. (laughs) He's headed up to here. He stands what he can and he can't stand no more. With a clean conscience and a righteous anger, he yells, What is my offense? You were in hot pursuit of me with an army to do me harm and for no reason. Everyone here, my kinsmen, your kinsmen, have judged me innocent. It's not my word against yours. They've decided between us. All of Laban's lying and cheating and stealing, which have been simmering in Jacob for 20 years, just explodes. For 20 years I worked for you. No goats miscarried. I ate none of your rams. When wild beasts killed one of your animals, I suffered the loss instead of you. I boiled in the heat of the day and froze in the cold of the night and labored without sleep for you. You changed my wages ten times, trying to cheat me out of my honest wage. Finally, Jacob says in verse 42, If the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, Surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. That means without his wives, without his children, without his flocks. Empty, empty. But God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands, and he rebuked you last night. You know, in chapter 31, Moses, our author, presents Jacob in a favorable light for the first time, really. Jacob's a sinner, and a deceiver, and a polygamist. But, before he was born, God elected Jacob to carry on the seed of the woman that we have been tracing through the book of Genesis ever since chapter 3, verse 15. God has chosen to keep his covenant of salvation with Jacob. Jacob represents the line of promise. And so, God has blessed Jacob with offspring and possessions. God has protected Jacob these 20 years so that no harm has come to him. And God is bringing Jacob back into the land that he will give him. And by the grace of God, Jacob and Laban will manufacture a peace. (laughs) Not the peace of God, but... The peace that is an absence of hostility. Let's pick up in verse 43. This is the last section. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters. The children are my children. The flocks are my flocks. All that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have borne? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jegar Sahadutha, but Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore he named it Galid and Mizpah, for he said, 
the Lord, which between, the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with me, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, see this heap and pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. And Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. Laban absolutely believes that he owns everything. Jacob's wives, Jacob's children, Jacob's flocks. He says, all that you see is mine, but, but what can I do? Laban wants it all, but his legal reason for taking everything has gone. Jacob didn't steal the gods. There's no evidence. And everyone knows Jacob's family is Jacob's family, and that Jacob's flocks are his honest wage. No white sheep, no solid-colored goats among them. Plus, God had warned Laban against harming Jacob. That's the restraining influence. So Laban and Jacob agreed to make a covenant of peace between them. It's really a a mutual non-aggression pact. Jacob's kinsmen stack a pile of stones and Jacob sets up a pillar, just as he did back at Bethel in chapter 28. And they serve as a witness and a boundary. Neither man will cross that boundary to do harm to the other. And they invoke the names of their gods in this pledge. The God of Abraham and the God or gods of Nahor. But Jacob only swears by his God. The fear of his father Isaac is how he describes him. Jacob offers a sacrifice and a covenant meal and everybody goes to bed. Early the next morning, Laban blesses and kisses his children and grandchildren although there is no mirth and music. Thus, there's peace between Israel and Aram for now. For now. You know, as you look at this story, this chase sequence, and there's a clear connection here with God calling Jacob and Laban's pursuit and God calling Moses and Pharaoh's pursuit in the Exodus. Remember that Moses' first readers are the Israelites camped in the wilderness about to cross the Jordan River to take possession of the promised land in Canaan after that exodus. Reading this, they couldn't couldn't help but see the pattern because they just lived it. God calls them out of a land in which they've been ill-treated. Yet, while in that land, they multiplied. And when they left that land, they plundered their enemy. Laban's wealth became Jacob's plunder, and Egypt's wealth became Israel's plunder. They were both hotly pursued with murderous intent, Jacob by Laban, Israel by Pharaoh. And God intervened to deliver them both, bringing an end to the hostility. With the intended outcome that Jacob and later Israel 
would return to the land God had promised to them. You see the connections. You see the pattern. The Israelites on the bank of the Jordan River, called by God to enter and take the land, are wondering if they're following the right God, because that's quite an order to undertake. And when they read the account of their father Jacob, they're reminded that the right God who provides and protects his people is the one who's called them. They had renewed confidence that God who was gracious to Jacob would be gracious to them. So they marched forward in conquest to take the promised land, their home and country. It's the same pattern of deliverance, all by God's grace, that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God provides and protects those who trust in Christ. I want to close with, with five quick comments. Five? Yes, five. You have not read and understood this passage till you at least take away these five things. God is the one who calls us to follow him. Jacob had an idea to go back home six years earlier, but he didn't go. It was when God called him to go that Jacob heeded God's call and obeyed God's word to follow him. We are so much better off than Jacob. I know you're thinking, if God would just speak to me in a dream, tell me what to do, it'd be so much easier. No, you have it much better than Jacob. We have God's completed word. His final, inerrant, infallible word calling us to trust and follow him. Read your Bible and do what it says. Don't you understand what's happening in your life or in the world around you? Psalm 111 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. Read your Bible and do what it says and you will have clarity of understanding. Jacob heard the word of the Lord and its promises to him, and it took him 20 years before he started doing it. If we would be not only hearers but doers of God's word, we would accelerate our understanding and see God's grace that abounds in our lives and walk in his righteousness. Second, See that everything is in God's hands. Don't just sing the song, he's got the whole world in his hands, but see it. Don't wait 20 years doing things your way, doing things the world's way. Jacob was not prospered in his efforts. He was prospered by God's grace, God's grace in the purpose of fulfilling God's promises. Success is not worldly success or wealth or the ability to do harm to others, power. God would leave Laban, who chased after those things, empty-handed. If you are not conscious of God this morning, you need to become conscious of His grace this morning. Your labor will not produce what you need, because what you need is righteousness, the righteousness that Christ gives to all who believe in and follow Him. 
the blessings of eternal life and peace you cannot win or bargain for or rob someone of. True and lasting prosperity that cannot be lost rests in God's hand to give. And he is gracious to give to all who will trust him to do so. He has proved that in Jacob's life. He has proved that to the nation of Israel in the Exodus. He has brought it about for us in the sacrifice of his son, Jesus, on the cross, dying for sinners. Have confidence in God. You know, you might be worried that if you trust fully in God, you'll be somehow exposed or vulnerable to this world. And we've seen two things about God this morning that should assuage that fear, erase that fear. Here's the first. God is the one who restrains evil. God is the one who restrains evil. Laban was a dangerous man, a violent man. Even after God's warning, think about this, even after God warns Laban not to threaten Jacob, not to speak to Jacob, Laban threatens Jacob anyway. He has no respect for God. He has respect for himself, yet God restrained Laban from harming Jacob. Dear believer, God is with you to protect you. That's, that's got to be a confidence builder. That does not mean you will have no trials, no tribulation, not even not persecution in this life. It means that he will preserve you and he will bring you home. On the cross, Jesus was crucified by sinful men who intended it for evil. But God used it for your good. Christ's death has brought us salvation. Not even your death can separate you from God in Christ. When the time comes, as it comes for all, your death will be precious in the sight of God. Because Christ will take you to be home, to live with him. Well, Scott, I appreciate that. But what about my life today? What about my life given to Christ today? Am I yet exposed? Am I yet vulnerable? Here's the second thing that we've seen. God is the one, God is the one who sees your affliction. God is the one who sees your affliction. Jacob's rant about Laban afflicting him, it's a bit of a mixed bag, isn't it? We sinners are a bit of a mixed bag. There's some selfishness in there and a pretty good amount of self-pity. But also mixed in is a bit of faith and a recognition of God's grace. It might be a bit discouraging to remember that not only has Jacob been afflicted, but Jacob is more than capable of afflicting others. We have that ability as well. Such is the nature of sinners like us. But the nature of God is to see our afflictions. God is not blind to our circumstances. He is not deaf to our cries. 
He is gracious and acting for us, even behind the scenes. I remember, I remember the, the lyrics from a song, when you can't see his plan, just trace his hand. We, like Jacob, need to grow in our perception and consciousness of God's grace in our lives. Look for the small but daily glimpses of God's grace in your life, rather than always glaring wide-eyed at your circumstances, wishing things were different. And you will find the grace of God is keeping you and comforting you and loving you. The last thing is this. God is true to His covenant promise, which is His gospel. God is true to His covenant promise, which is His gospel. His promise made to Jacob are fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman who has crushed the serpent's head on the cross, defeating our enemies of sin, death, and the devil. Jesus is the promise that God will bring us safely into the promised land. This is not your home. This place. You will find this life more bearable, this life more enjoyable, this life more righteous and preferring righteousness if you would remember that this is not your home. God has promised in Christ that he will safely deliver you to a better home and a heavenly country. That's his promise for you if you would remember it. Brothers and sisters, one day we will leave this place which is not our home and never return. God is building a home for us. And Christ is taking us there. And there we will know the peace of God. The real peace. Eternal peace of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you that you've given us your word. That we might read it and study it, and understand it, and apply it. Father, we confess this place feels a lot like our home. It is sometimes hard for us to imagine being anywhere but here. And so help us. Minister to our hearts the truth that you have, you have a better home for us. A city whose architect is God, whose builder is God, a heavenly country. Draw our affections to that place so that we would live better for you in this place. We pray this all for your glory in Christ's name. Amen.